0: you hear me all right good morning everybody we're going to start this morning with communion I want to read something to you and explain something to you before we do that Um, here when Jesus was giving the Lord's Supper to his followers he was getting ready to go to the cross just a little reminder of who's in charge right there Uh, he was uh, reinstituting communion if you remember. Uh, And Genesis, we welcome all of you that have joined us live wherever you're at this morning. We welcome you to our service time. But communion was had between Abraham and Melchizedek after he'd come back from a battle there. And he'd come out of uh, Jerusalem and met him. They had the wine and the bread. And then later on, we see that instituted with Passover and all that coming down the line. Well, here, Jesus... (coughs) reinstitutes that in the New Testament church. If, I, if I've if i said to you before, baptism and communion were going on long before the church was ever formed. So those things were reinstituted because they were pictures of Jesus and the work that he was going to do, not only under the Father, but for us. So He, what Israel was supposed to be seeing was they were supposed to be seeing Jesus through all this, through baptism, through the washings, as they were called, and uh, through communion, as we call it, the wine and the bread. In this particular case, if you didn't know this already, that all of Jesus' disciples were Galileans. They were from that area there, and they, were, uh, they understood when Jesus used the culture a lot so he could teach them things that was to come. Uh, and here Jesus makes a statement when he's reinstituting communion uh, during the Passover and, and helping them to understand that it should they should see him in this. He talks about the wine and the and the and the bread, and he gives that to them. We'll go to that here in just a moment. But he makes this statement. He says, "But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day." when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom <clears throat> that's prophetic of course it assures us that Jesus was coming back right we know he's coming back for us and we know that that day is soon that's why we have this hourglass here to remind us and those who watch us around the globe that Jesus is coming back soon in the Galilean wedding, this was important because the groom would come and ask for the hand of the bride, and he would bring a cup of the wine. She could, at that moment, refuse. It was kind of different from some of the other weddings that took place in those regions and those group, different people groups. But this particular wedding, the Galilean, she could turn him down. But if she drank of that cup she was betrothing herself to the groom. And when she drank of that cup she was saying I'm all in. And then he would say to her the exact thing Jesus said to his followers here. He said I'm not going to drink of this anymore until I come and get you and take you to my father's house. He got, Amen. You can give the Lord praise. Once she consents through sipping the cup, he goes back to add on a room to his father's house. Jesus said that, right? He said, "In my father's house are many mansions." Is how we, but the word in the Greek means rooms. It means you're going to live in the same house with God. You better straighten up going to live in the same house with god because his son came and took the cup for us and then he invited us in to sup with him and be betrothed to him and he said i'm not going to drink of this anymore until i come back and get you and take you to my father's house let's stand our feet We have guys stationed around. If you would, go ahead and make your way and get your elements. The matzah and the fruit of the vine. The emphasis that we should see during this moment is that Jesus is not going to leave us here. He's going to come back for us. He's going to come back for His bride. And if you have been born again and you follow Jesus Christ, you're a part of His bride. What a beautiful thing to understand that as we get ready to participate here, we're renewing our covenant with our Lord and Savior, with our groom. He went to add on a room for us to His Father's house. And when his father says, go get them, he's coming back to get us. That's good news. Amen. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. And so this bread or this matzah as you have in your hand has already been broken for you. It's unleavened bread that we use during our communion time that represents no sin. If you look on it it's got some stripes where it's been grilled and it's got a hole usually several holes in the bread and this particular piece I have has a hole in it and then it's been broken all this for you this represents the body that Jesus lived in while he was here that he died in that he suffered in so that you and I could be betrothed to him Lord we lift this bread in full awareness of the suffering you did to secure a bride you deserve a pure bride because you paid a price for it and we eat this bread in full awareness of what you've done for us in Jesus name And here we hold this cup Lord this cup that the groom would hold and offer to the bride this cup that would unite the bride and the groom we renew ourselves this morning Lord and we recognize that this cup represents the blood of the New Testament covenant and we realize that you poured your blood out so that we could have our sins washed away that we could be forgiven that we could live forever with you and that you've went to prepare a place for us and we recognize the reality of your forgiveness and of your return with this cup we look forward to drinking the fruit of the vine with you in the new kingdom and our father's house we drink this cup with a great understanding of just those things in jesus name and everybody said amen. amen this is the day the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it i will praise you O oh lord with my whole heart I will tell of your marvelous works. Are you doing that? Are you telling people about how good God is? We're running out of time. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sit on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. There's only two ways to, to leave here. End with God or not. You have rebuked the nations. You've destroyed them. Oh, enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared His throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And He shall administer judgment for the peoples of uprightness. Hold on. For everybody that's cried for justice, it's coming. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you Sing praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. He's worthy. Everybody said, you know, the, the Bible says. That when somebody gets saved, that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. I, I, I don't doubt that the angels aren't rejoicing too, but the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. Do you know who I think rejoicing more than anybody? Jesus. Because He paid a heavy price for people to be saved. Before we leave here today, Dwayne, Jen is going to get up and tell you we had a lot of children saved this week in Bible school. We've had two more saved at the satellite. The drug culture is getting wiped out down there. They're going to have to lay off police officers. God is able to do far above what we can think or ask. I want to remind you of something. About three years ago, we fasted as a church for 21 days. You remember that? And when we done that, all heaven broke loose. I said that like a Christian, didn't I? All heaven broke loose. And we baptized. By the time we get through, it be close to 200 people. The Lord is faithful. Amen? He's faithful. We should be rejoicing with Jesus because we've been watching people we love and know get saved and have eternal life and we give you praise for that lord hallelujah you are worthy for all of our praise say it with me some trust in chariots and horses but we trust in the name of the lord give him praise one more time he's worthy amen children's church is dismissed we have two nurseries across the way in the next building the rest of you may be seated this morning I want to take you, keep you on the runway just a little while. We'll try to take off at the end. But I want to take you, if you would, have your Bibles turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. I want to share some stuff with you out of this chapter. Then I want to take you to the New Testament and share some things that Jesus said in correlation with this. And then we may take flight after that. But I want to get this in your spirit. I want you to hear what the Lord's saying here and help us make sure we have the proper perspective on life. All right. And and, uh, Proverbs chapter 8 says, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Oh, you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. He got all of us with those two statements, didn't he? Isaiah chapter 11. I just want to turn over there and show you something before we continue on in this chapter. Here in Proverbs. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Lord says here through the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit speaks and says, Uh, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And capitalized here, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So God refers to His Spirit at times as the Spirit of wisdom. So we need God's Spirit working in our lives, don't we? your wife or your husband or your closest friend or relative believes that's true of you. We all need God's Spirit leading us and directing our lives and teaching us. Amen. He says, uh, you simple ones, understand prudence. You fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I'm back in Proverbs 8, verse 6. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. So we should be careful what comes out of our mouths, right? All right, I'm going to say that again. I need at least two amens or I'm going to stop and take up an offering right here in the middle of the church. All the words of my mouth with righteousness, nothing crooked or perverse in them, he says. There's no wickedness in his abomination to his lips. So we should guard our mouths. And not just guard them with slang. We don't need to be speaking slang words. But the Bible also tells us that we'll give an account of every idle word we speak. A word that has no value. We should be careful not to speak doubt but to speak life and faith. Are you with me? It's important how we talk with ourselves and with other people. We should influence our own lives with our speech and others as long as it is governed by the Holy Spirit slash the Spirit of wisdom. All of us need to watch our talk. We need to speak as of the oracles of God. We need to be somebody who speaks God's truth. There are, they, they are all plain to him who understands. And write to those who find knowledge his words. Receive my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choice go. So the wisdom that comes from God. Hold your spot there. Let's go over to James chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're going to come back to Proverbs, so just hold your spot there. Let me read a couple of things to you out of the book of James about wisdom. In James chapter 1 verse 5, look at what he says here. James 1 and verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, where we know the spirit of wisdom is at, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. When's that last time you've asked God for wisdom? You don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. The people around you wished you would. (laughs) Right? God he says he if we ask we need to get it from God. He says if we ask let them ask of God who gives liberally. So he'll give you plenty of it. Right? You have the dumb donkey, but more than the dumb donkey, you have the dumb prophet. Remember that? The donkey that talked to the prophet Balaam, who's the real dummy? The prophet was the real dummy. Because the donkey could see the angel up ahead, and the prophet was so blinded. You know why? Because he went after the silver instead of the wisdom. He went after the gold instead of the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the knowledge, right? So you, you and I got to be careful that we're not chasing the wrong things. Notice how, we'll see how this chapter in Proverbs unfolds in just a minute. Let's go to uh, James chapter 3, same book here, verse 13, and look what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by the good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have any bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, in other words, if you're covetous, toward other things and other people, do not boast and lie against the truth. That's not truth. The wisdom, this wisdom, this kind of wisdom that is self-seeking, we, we, we desire that, right? Let me show you this on the board real quick. We illustrate love in the New Testament, two forms of love in the Greek agape and eros. We illustrate agape with a straight arrow. Because it's love with no motive, right? We illustrate eros with a hook because eros in Greek is love with a, with a hook. And the reason, uh, the original symbol for eros in the Greek was a snake. Or in my case, a snake body with a bird's head on it. <laughs> a snake with its own tail in its mouth because it was consumed with itself. <clears throat> so... What we've tried to teach you here for years, and the people I have to do with, my family, is that you want to have agape, God wants us to have agape love, right? Not eros love. Eros was not, we've turned that into a sexual term, but it was not a sexual term in the beginning. It was a self-seeking or self-centered love. Now you can see with all the sexual immorality that goes on in this nation, and not only here but around the world, we I had two different settings this week. It was ironic in it that all the sexual and moral people have the label of pride. It's kind of ironic because that's we talked. This came out in both of those settings that how pride is the original sin, right? Satan. That's what got him tossed. But all the sexually immoral people uh, and all the letters of the alphabet they have they have summed that up by saying pride is our logo, is our emblem. And they stole, they stole the rainbow from God. They didn't really steal it from God. They're just misusing it. He still owns it. Uh, that was His covenant with us, right? That He would not destroy the world with water again. And so that again, and I'll get into that in just a minute. So here's what you want. You want uh, a husband that loves his wife and his family with agape. Not eros, Right? And the same for the woman. You want the woman to love her husband and her family with agape, not eros. And I've done this before, but he says, I love you, honey. I want you to be my helpmate. I want us to follow the Lord and raise godly seed. She says, I love you too with a hook because your family's got a lot of money. She says, I love you, honey. I want to be a helpmate. I want us to be one. I want us to raise godly seed. I want us to follow the Lord. And he says, I love you too. You're good looking. You want to go beyond that. Here's what God said in John three sixteen: For God so agapowed. He used the word agape, but he used the verb form of it, which does what? Shows action, right? Verbs show action. So, God used this form of agape, agapao is the Greek word. We translate it love, right, correct translation. But sometimes we miss that it's a verb there. He used the verb form of love there because God did what? God so loved, verb, that He done what? What did He give us? The best thing He had. So His love. Now I'm saying that to you as Christians. If you have real agape... Working in your life toward God and toward others. It will cause you to have action toward them. It not just be a mental record up here. Yeah, I love you emotionally. But you will step out on that and move into that. And that's why John 3.16 is more than powerful. Because of how the Holy Spirit arranged those words. How Actually how Jesus spoke them. And the Spirit speaking through Him. He spoke that while He was here. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave. So that word was intentional there so we don't want to be loving with eros we want to love with agape all right and let's go on here in james Then i'll go back to proverbs do not uh don't be self-seeking in your hearts do not boast and lie against the truth this wisdom does not descend from above but is earthly sensual, and demonic the greatest thing about christianity is it calls us out of a self-centered life it calls us to surrender That's the greatest thing about Christianity. It causes us to surrender. And then he says, this kind of of wisdom, the earthly wisdom. And what does earthly wisdom teach? You go get all you can, store up all you can, hoard up what you can, because life's all about you. That's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches us to lay our lives down. If we seek to gain our life, what Jesus say, we'll lose it. If we'll lose our life for His sake, we'll gain it. Now the problem we have, I'm trying to get through James here. Let's we'll uh, come back to James in just a few minutes. Go back to Proverbs real quickly. Back to Proverbs. The problem we have in our culture is let's be real, and you might even struggle with it at times yourself. We view what he say. He says, uh, the words are plain in verse 9, to understand. and verse 10, to receive my instruction and not silver and, and, and knowledge rather than gold. Let's be honest, sometimes we value gold and silver more than we do wisdom. Come on now. And we all might be challenged with that at some point in our life. I l- love having the privilege of telling somebody who's in their 70s or 80s, who's, who's afraid financially and i say you mean to tell me your lord and savior is going to bring you to this point in life and just drop you off that's not how this works he said he would never leave us nor forsake us but be with us to the end of the age somebody ought to give him praise for that god's not going to forsake you he's not going to walk out on you and i amen So the problem we struggle with is that we may at times in our lives or at moments we may value silver and gold more than we do the wisdom of God. Let me tell you something. If currency fails, and we know how that works, we've seen that happen. If you're a student of history as I am, if America's, if our nation, if our empire don't eventually collapse, we'll be the exception to the rule. Because just about every nation, some of them have come back, but every nation goes, and why? Because most nations find themselves forgetting God and His ways as they move along the path. But we got to be careful to remember, let me tell you, the smartest person in town when money fails in countries will be the woman or the man who knows how to can beans and grow them. Hmm. Intelligence is relevant. Understand and hear what i got to say. Intelligence is relevant depending on... The moment, right? If money's no good and you don't know how to can beans, you're in trouble. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we look down on people that live simple lives and we may all need some of what they got if time lasts. Amen. So you, you may not be the smartest person on the block. You need, and all of that can shift and change. But what our problem that we got to guard against is valuing things of this world more than the things of God. Now, this spirit of wisdom comes from who? God. It's more valuable than gold, than silver, than your job, or anything else that you have in a possession. This wisdom from God, that's what he's saying. He's saying, this wisdom is more valuable than any possession you have. Now let me say this to you as plain as I can. You and I go out and we work and we strive daily most of the time, or at least weekly, to do what? To get silver, gold, and Bitcoin. (laughs) Alright? That's what we do. Are you doing the same for wisdom? You know what's wrong with most of the people who win the lottery? They're dummies. They don't have any wisdom. You read those stories of how many of them win millions of dollars and wind up with nothing. Because silver and gold and Bitcoin didn't solve their problem. Solomon said riches will make wings and fly off. But wisdom comes from God. And if I get that from God, knowing that he said he'd never leave me or forsake me, I've got access to wisdom all the time. And he's saying to us here that wisdom is more important than any possession you and I might have. And then he goes on to say, he says, uh, for wisdom is better than rubies. He's just coming right down the line, right? Right? And all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. Now I ask you again. Don't want you to raise your hand. When's the last time you asked God for wisdom? You and I should do that daily. We, because you're going to run into situations, you need that daily. And the reason we come into His gates with thanksgiving and, and His courts with praise before we go through the furniture in the tabernacle as we meet with God, the reason we do that is because we're, not, we're saying to God, we realize we don't make things happen. You do. That's, that's amen. Somebody may sign your check or do whatever, but if God didn't provide the opportunity and put you in that place, you wouldn't have that. So the reason we give thanks every time we come to, before God is to remind ourselves and God to remind Him we know where our help comes from and to remind ourselves that we know where our help from, comes from. And if you listen or hear the last Job study before we took off this week for VBS, I learned something that I passed along to you I hadn't known for Fear, the fear of God starts from you and I knowing our position and knowing His. That's where it all came from. That's how the fear of the Lord originated by the people who know their position versus His position. That's where the fear of God comes from and starts. He said, I will, uh, he says, "For it's better than rubies or anything else you can desire. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is, here it is, to hate evil. That's a big challenge in our culture now. Because we're trying to figure out, because the immorality that's in our world has probably impacted all of us at some point in our family trees. So how do you love the sinner and hate the sin? That's our challenge in this world today. How do we love the sinner and hate the sin? Pride, here that word is, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. That's what, and that's what we see with the sexually immoral crowd that's sweeping our nation, right? And it's ironic to me how that that choice of words was given to them and that they've embraced it. It's about pride. And here's what the fear of the Lord is. To hate evil, pride and arrogance and every evil way. And the perverse mouth I hate. He hates it. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Here's what he says. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Now you remember that time when Micaiah was called and Ahab and uh, Jehoshaphat, I believe it was, were about to go to battle. Now Ahab was an arrogant, prideful, self-centered man. And he had a wife that was worse than him. Jezebel. And they were so caught up in their kingdom and their own strength and what they thought they could do. They really didn't honor God. In fact, the one guy that would tell them the truth, they had him put in prison. And so Ahab's trying to talk Jehoshaphat into going to battle. And Jehoshaphat is a man with wisdom. And he says, let's talk to God about this. And he didn't like what the prophets were saying. said, is there not in somebody else? And Ahab says, yeah, we got Micaiah down there in jail. But uh, I don't like what he says, so he, I just put him in jail. And let's call him, he said. So they get him up there. And on the way up there, the lying prophets who are more concerned with this life than the next life, they're trying to convince Micaiah on the way up there to say the same thing they said. And he said, as, as I live, whatever the Lord tells me is what I'm going to say. Thank God, Yuval. Now, if you're going to stand with God and His Word, you're going to be in the minority. You might as well get used to it. You're, go- you're already. We're not waiting for this anymore. It's here now. If you're going to stand with God's Word, you're in the minority in this country right now. You are. And so Maakai's on the way up, and he gets up there, and Ahab and him evidently had a long history there. And Maakai uh, says to the king, he says, what, what we? He said, Ah, right, going up, everything's going to be fine. And Ahab said, Quit jibing with me. Does anybody remember that word, jib? I tell my age right there. Quit jibing with me and tell me the truth. And so Maakai said, If you go up, you're going to die. And then these other prophets who are lying smacks him, Says, where did the Spirit of God leave us and get on you? Well, that's exactly what happened. And so finally, uh, Ahab, because he he knew that uh, Micaiah had been hearing from God all along, he wants Jehoshaphat to dress up like the king, and he's going to dress up like a soldier, because he has enough fear working in there that it might be true. And so they see Jehoshaphat and leave him alone in the battle, spare him. And the Bible says a stray arrow finds its way in a kink in the armor of Ahab and kills him. Now I want to remind us of this and I want you to help other people to understand this. We know who's in charge. We need to live like it and we need to tell others and that should give us the confidence and the strength and the faith we need and the hope without a question mark. Now listen, as we race toward the end of time, our greatest testimony is going to be when people look at us and they say, why aren't you freaking out? Why are you settled? Why are you living in peace? Because we know how this thing ends. We know how it ends. He says, uh, the, I love those. He says, by me, kings, reign, rulers, decree, by princes, rule, nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me. Have you ever seen anybody? You can say, just... You don't love wisdom, do you? We can tell. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches. Everybody say, enduring. Enduring. You know what? Let me remind you something else James said. You didn't bring nothing into this world, and you ain't taking nothing out when you leave. So, we need to be reminded of that. My fruit is better. He says it again. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold. And my revenue. Than choice silver. What a dummy. Why would you kill the goose? You kill the goose. And the egg stop. Right? Everybody remember that fairy tale? Or the nursery rhyme? Kill the golden goose. Going to get all the eggs at once. I'd rather have something that's constantly producing in my life. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you get in me in front, these other things, right? Well, Jesus said, if you seek me first, all these other things be added. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth. If you want to be blessed, pursue wisdom. Ask God for it. Seek it diligently. That I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. So he's not saying, you have to not do without all that stuff. He's just saying, put me in front. Put me first. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. So He's been around, the spirit of wisdom. Isaiah says, I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, From there was before there was ever an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the fountains were settled, before the hills... I was brought forth while, as yet, He made not had not made the earth of the fields, or the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. When He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He established the clouds above, when He strengthened the fountains of the deep, when He assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress His command. When He marked out the foundation of the earth, then I then uh, then I was beside Him. As a master craftsman, I was daily his delight. Now, for those people in our world, and they're all over the world, some of them are in government and all these places. For those people that say the world is going to end differently than what the Bible says, they're calling God a liar. That's what they're doing. There's, some of them's in our government and everything. When when they say that man's going to destroy the world, that's not how it's going to end. God Himself's going to destroy it, and and we're not going to get flooded out again. God is going to destroy it with fire the next time, so there's no you're not going to get flooded out. That's not that's a lie. That's a man made lie. If if this world is going to get swallowed up in flood and ice again, then God is a liar. God hung out the rainbow, telling us that the world would never be submerged or destroyed with water again. So those people out there that are saying those things are calling God a liar. i got news for you. The Bible says God cannot lie. He's not a man that He should lie. And if God can lie, we're all in trouble. But God does not lie. He hung the rainbow out to remind us of His covenant and His promise with us. So stick with God and His wisdom and you'll be fine. He says, uh, He says, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. So the spirit of wisdom wants to help us, wants to bless us. He wants us to prosper, but we're not going to do that without him. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed or receiver of divine favor are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man, or the word blessed means receiver of divine favor, is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates. How often? Daily. Daily. Now we better pick it up because times are getting worse, so we're going to need all the wisdom we can get. Waiting at the post of my doors for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But now you can get favor with men with with earthly things and possessions. But you get favor with the Lord with wisdom, with His stuff. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Now that's some strong words from the Lord there. But it's all avoidable, right? Right? It's all avoidable. Turning to Matthew chapter 7. This is where we'll finish up this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, we see some words of Jesus. If we pick up in verse 13. Just want to cover a few verses here. Now, without God in our minds, they do not function properly. Now, I don't mean to be offensive with that, but I'm not backing down off of that. We all have people we love and know. That don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their brain don't function completely correct. You cannot have, I don't care how how smart the scientist is that graduated from Harvard, if God's not a part of His soulish man, His mind, His thinking, His brain don't fully function correctly. You and I will never fully function correctly in our minds unless God is a part of our thinking. He's the one that designed the mind, the soul, languages, grammar, all that comes from God. Everything comes from God. We didn't start with nothing and make something. Only God did that. And so, without God in our minds, we do not function properly in our soulish man. All right, let me take you back to this. There's about three months worth of teaching on the difference between the uh, soul, and I lost my spot here. Well, I'll figure it out in a minute. There we go. There's a a difference between your soulish man where your mind, your will, and emotions are seated. Your spirit is in your innermost being. It's dormant until Jesus comes to life and the Holy Spirit brings His life. But you work or you still function until you're born again in your soulish man. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, when you get born again, that inner man where the Spirit of God lives desires to control that segment of your life now. So your mind, your will, and emotions are designed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But what happens, we live, however long you live in life before you give your life to Christ, you live doing that on your own. And let's be real, some people are better at it than others, right? They get trained better, so some people function better. But that soulless realm does not function completely proper unless, unless you're born again. Unless God's a part of it. Now, <clears throat> let me take you to verse 13. Enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go by in it. In other words, most folks are going to hell, and few are going to heaven. And, and it's really, you know, the devil gets people caught up in fleshly things over time. You, they pursue certain things, but really the crux of going to hell boils down to this. You, me, whoever, we decide we're not going to surrender and do it God's way. We're just going to do it our way. Now, that may manifest itself in a thousand different ways, from addiction to perversion to greed to unforgiveness. We could go on and on and on. However, that manifests itself, a lifestyle that pursues things, whatever. But that ultimately starts in here when you and I say we're not going to do your will, we're going to do ours. And that's what happens here. He says, because narrow, and the word is stenose there, narrow, and it means narrowing, right? So the way is narrowing. And uh, the way is stenos or narrowing is the gate. And difficult is the way it's a compressed way. So the Lord uses His way and makes it narrow and compressed so it's clearly distinguishable. Now don't the way of a transgressor is hard because his way gets tougher and tougher. But what God wants us to do is see his path clearly. So he distinguishes his path from the rest of the world. There's only two ways, two paths to choose. And then he says, Beware of, uh, <clears throat> because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Enter in by the narrow gate, for um, wide is the way and broad the way to destruction. So he's a clear. Distinction between these two. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. do, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now listen to what he says next, because I want to reflect this back to what we read in Proverbs 8. Wisdom's crying out, right? And wisdom is trying to get our attention and trying to get us to, to do what it's asking us to do. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But now, yet... Some folks think that's all they have to do. Has your faith, what you believe in, about God, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, has that led you to surrender and salvation? Or has it led you just to a set of religious beliefs? Think about it. Has the faith that you claim you have Has that led you to a place of surrender and salvation in Christ? Or is it just a set of religious beliefs you have? But it's not impacting or affecting your life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So they were, had some level of activity, right? But that belief did not lead them to surrender. Now, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. Who built his house on the rock? Same kind of language we were hearing in Proverbs 8. You really want to stand, you really want to be blessed, wisdom's crying out. If you hear Jesus' teachings and what he teaches and says, you'll be like this guy who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine. And does not do them. Will be like a foolish man. Remember he addressed the foolish man in Proverbs 8. Who built his house on the sand. Now don't you think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying if we don't follow through and do what he teaches. We're building our lives on sand. Now this is a problem. Because we got a lot of people in our culture. And that's why I said, "As your faith led you to a set of religious beliefs? Or has it led you to a place of surrender and salvation? There are a lot of people in our culture. And some of them even go to church. Who go out and do good deeds. But in their personal life, they do not practice the things of God. So it's interesting to me that Jesus says, not everybody who says the Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom. And then he follows through by that, by saying, telling what a bunch of them claimed they did. So they evidently, they had faith enough, or enough understanding to say, we know he's the son of God, but we're not willing to surrender our lives. And lay it down. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Lay your life down. We're not willing to go that far. We don't want him interrupting our lives and and dictating how we live and how we should function. We're glad we got him to celebrate and to proclaim. But as far as doing what he teaches, we don't want to get that deep. So he says that, he says, they they did these things, and then he says, uh, whoever hears these things and does them will build his house on the rock, and whoever don't will not. Turn with me to Luke 9. Amen from the Lord right there. (laughs) To Luke 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Listen to what Jesus said. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of, uh, uh, of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes to his own glory. As a couple of places it talks about Jesus and his words. And then, John chapter 1, it said the gospel says he was the word made flesh, so he's, they're one and the same. Then over in his epistle, he said there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Spirit, and it calls Jesus the word there. This is one of the biggest issues we have in the church in America. People who say, I'm hanging on to Jesus, but I'm rejecting that part of the scripture. You can't do that. They're one and the same. You can't say, I'm hanging on to Jesus here, but I reject what Paul taught in Romans chapter 1. Are you ashamed? Will you be ashamed to stand up for God's truth? Would you be ashamed to tell people God's truth? And you'll get persecuted for it. I want to remind you of a... I'm going to take you somewhere in just a moment, but I want to remind you of something. You and I won't get to heaven... Unless we believe on Jesus and turn our lives over to Him. Amen. Now here's why persecution is so aggressive even in our own country. I don't know if you all remember this, but a few years ago, the CEO or the, the owner, the founder of Chick-fil-A was asked a question about marriage. He didn't publish an article about it. He didn't run on TV and just tell his... Somebody asked him a question how he felt about marriage. And his response was he believed in God's view of marriage, a biblical view. And they boycotted. Of course, it didn't work. it was evidently it was obscene how much money they made after that because they wouldn't even tell anybody. But they persecuted. See, he wasn't allowed to have his view. You see, what the, see how that works? He didn't run out and say, Hey, I'm going to have an, uh, a uh, press conference. I want to tell everybody how I believe. Some reporter asked him, and he responded with his belief. He got hammered over it. God stood with him, obviously, you know the story. They're probably the most successful chain in America, because they put God first. But that's where we're at. You're not allowed to have your belief if it's anything contrary than what the world believes. And when you see so they're challenging us to compromise, Will you stand? Are you going to stand? Would you tell somebody that you love that if they don't tithe, they're stealing from God? Oh, I didn't get one amen on that. That's what the Bible teaches. Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> would you tell somebody that's living, a, living outside of the marriage between a husband and wife that that's sexually immoral, that's against God's law? Or would you not tell them that? They had done everything, I got this from uh, G. Campbell Morgan, they had done everything but the Lord's will. They, these people we're talking about here. They'd done a bunch of stuff, they claim. They'd done everything but the Lord's will. They had hoped to make up for disobedience to His will in their personal life by doing things for Him in their church, their city, and their world. Now, how many people do you think live like that? They just do whatever they want to in their personal life, but they give at the United Way banquet or they buy, give to the church or whatever. But in their personal life, you know what Jesus called them? Workers of iniquity. They had evidently been hanging out in the church. You don't cast demons out at the ball game, most likely. Some of them need cast out at the ball game. (laughs) But when I've dealt with demonic possession in my ministry, usually it's inside the church because there's a conflict, right? When somebody comes in that's demon-possessed and they start feeling the Holy Spirit, there's a battle starting to take place. And that's why you get manifestations of demonic things when the Holy Spirit's manifesting himself because it makes them nervous because they know they're under the authority of God. The Bible says demons know and fear, right? So, you cannot have Jesus and reject parts of His Word. Amen. They're one and the same. And that's where we're called to stand. And I'm asking you, are you are going to stand? You don't have to call a press conference. The guy, Kathy's his last name, I think, chick fil He didn't call a press conference to let everybody know what he thought. Somebody just ask him a question, but will you answer? Will you answer the truth when you get asked a question? Would you tell somebody the truth? I want you to think about this. I borrowed this from Brad Abraham. He shared this with me and I told him to thank the preacher that he got it from. Tell him I knew I actually know the preacher he got it from. Brad is the guy that owns the the company that we get all of our resources from, from audio, visual, all that stuff fine Christian man but he wasn't always a Christian man in fact he would probably tell you he was the black sheep of the family for a long time but he said that he struggled at a point in his life whether there was a God whether there was a devil and he said he went to revival one night and he got saved this night after hearing this, these words the preacher said there's more evidence and we know this is true More things written about and evidence that Jesus Christ walked in this earth than any other person that's ever been here. More written about Him. More historical things written about Him. Plans, preparations about Him coming. Prophetic things. Nobody in the history of the world has ever had as much written about Him as Jesus Christ. Nobody's existence in the world has been verified More than Jesus Christ. Nobody's. Not some historical figure. A few things written about people here and there. But if you go down through the eons of time. There's been more written. And more verification that Jesus Christ was on this earth. Than any other person that's ever been here. But yet. That's the only one. That the devil tries to tell you is not real. He don't try to tell you Adolf Hitler didn't exist. He don't try to tell you Farrah Fawcett wasn't here. I don't know where that come from. (laughs) Farrah Fawcett, we were talking about, that's where it come from this week. Because Farrah Fawcett came to my hometown because Lee Majors is from my hometown. Six million dollar man, by the way. And when he was married to her, he brought her to Middlesboro, Kentucky one time. The city was ablaze. But it doesn't matter who it is. The devil don't run around trying to get you not to believe That nobody else is real except for Jesus Christ. You think about that for a minute. He don't try to tell you Confucius wasn't real. Or the Dalai Lama. Or anybody else for that matter. Buddha. Mohammed. You don't see people running around or the devil using people that Jesus is not real. Or that these guys are not real. The only one the devil tries to convince you that's not real is Jesus Christ. And there's more evidence and more writings about him than any other person that's ever existed in the in the history of the universe. Now I'm gonna close here. I'm gonna to try to take this plane off the end of the runway right here. In a good way. We're gonna get it. A... Jesus Christ came preaching himself. See, that separates him from Buddha, Mohammed, Confucius, anybody else. They preached away. They preached, they got some stuff, right? And even Who's the Mormon guy? Joseph Smith. Yeah, his own wife come out and said he was a liar later on. But they all got these revelations and they found these ways to hand off to us, right? They said, I got a way for you here. And I got a way for you over here. And I got a way for you over there. And you ought to do what I did because this is the way I'm going. And Jesus Christ didn't come into that. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If anybody's going to see the Father, He's got to come through me. Jesus Christ did not preach a creed apart from himself. He did not preach a theological uh, system apart from himself. He said, if you're going to go to the Father, if you're going to live eternally, you're going to have to put your trust and your confidence in me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. I'm the one that's going to lay my life down. No man is going to take my life. I'm going to lay it down on the cross, and then I'm going to take it up three days later, and I'm going to take the keys to death, hell and the grave, I'm going to destroy enemy, your death, your enemy, and I'm going to release you from your sin and your bondage. You must come through me. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's time for the church, for us to stand up. I don't care if you promote living water or not, but what you better be doing is telling the world about Jesus Christ. He, he's the one. We we don't lift up the preacher. We don't lift up the ministries. We don't lift up the church. We lift up Jesus Christ. I'm not. Go- Amen. I'm not going to save anybody. You're not going to save anybody. But the Lord Jesus Christ can save whosoever will. He can go into the gutters of this earth. He can go into the stench and the dine. He can go into the valley of Baca and bring fresh living water to those souls that are living in death. Jesus Christ has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. If you want that, you got to go through Him. And here's the difference. The difference is Mohammed's still in the grave. Buddha's still in the grave. Confucius is still in the grave. Shirley MacLaine's still in the grave. And all her New Age movement. Did she die? Well, she's headed there. (laughs) All of us are headed there, right? (laughs) We're all headed there. We pray she gets saved if she's not already gone. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. But Jesus Christ come out of the grave verified by both the Romans and Jews and the Holy Spirit, testifying in our heart that Jesus Christ is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for you and I, and He's telling us to ask for wisdom because He's on our side. You guys come to the instruments. You can stand to your feet. The Lord said He would never leave us nor forsake us. One of the wealthiest guys that I know who wears the two to four thousand dollar suits, that's his business, made this statement. Remember what we were talking about originally? Wisdom. He made this statement. He said, I would never have more money in my closet than I do in my library on my bookshelf. He said because I can I can get a book from somebody and he's a Christian, I can get a book from somebody and read it in 8 hours and learn what this guy took a lifetime to learn. He said I he said I like nice suits. That's his pet what he likes right we all like something right he likes nice suits he said he said but i'll never have more money hanging in my closet than i got on my bookshelf because i can renew my mind i can learn i can get wisdom understanding knowledge That's kind of what the lord's saying here your silver and gold is not near as valuable as the wisdom you and i can get from god amen let's bow our heads father we thank you for this time Thank you for all those that are watching. If anybody's watching us today or in this building today that don't know you, today's their day. We are so thankful for all the folks you've saved in the last two and a half years, Lord. We are blessed. We want to rejoice. We don't want to take for granted anything. But there may be somebody in this building this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Him. Maybe you've got a set of religious guidelines you live by but you've not really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today's your day the Bible says today is the day of salvation if you hear his voice do not harden your heart if you're watching if you watch this this morning you get this podcast and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior would you surrender your life to him right where you're at would just ask him to forgive you of your sins just be real and sincere ask Him to come into your life and give your life over to Him now I want to talk to all you that are believers we took communion already this morning as a sign of betrothal to our groom do you need to renew yourself this morning is that you? and you say you know what? I'm living half my life for myself and half of it for God. I just want to turn it all over this morning. Whatever your need is, if you're sick and afflicted, we've got the oil here. We'll pray over you. Whatever you need, this altar is open. Will you come as we worship Him?